I've just gotten really into the esports world lately and just, you know, watching these hand injuries and wrist injuries, elbow injuries, postural injuries. And, you know, I've really started trying to market to video gamers and, and, and hand injuries in particular. Hey, y'all, what's up? This is Aaron LeBauer. Welcome to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast, the number one show for passionate physical therapists looking to start and grow an even more successful physical therapy practice without the headaches or conflict of interest that insurance companies bring. Before we get to the episode, real quick, if you're new to the show or haven't picked up your Cash PT checklist yet, then you're definitely missing out. This checklist lays out all the essential steps you need to start a cash-based physical therapy business. If you want me to send that to you, then go to cashptchecklist.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T, C-H-E-C-K-L-I-S-T dot com. Enter your first name and email and you'll get this essential checklist right away. Thanks, and now on to the show. All right, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is Aaron LeBauer, your host, and today my special guest is F. Scott Feel, and F. Scott's from Waco, Texas, where he has a Cash PT side hustle. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This has been a long time coming, so I'm glad to finally sit and chat with you. Yeah, really awesome. So, let's give everyone a little background on you. You went to you went to Wake Forest, right around the corner from me, right? Was that undergrad? Yeah, I did my undergrad at Wake Forest. I was actually an English major, which in the long run actually kind of helped me, I think, get into PT school because I was an oddball. You know, it was all exercise science majors and bio majors. And and here's this English major trying to get into PT school. And I I did have to take a full year of prerequisite classes after I graduated. So I Mm -hmm. went to UNC Greensboro, actually, to complete those prereqs while I still lived in Winston-Salem there. Okay. And then uh, I got into East Carolina University when it was still a master's program. So I went to ECU for grad school, but then they offered us a transitional doctorate in that, that second year. We were the first class they offered that to, and it was only good for two years, and then they shut it down, and it became a full-on three-year doctoral program after that. So I started my doctorate at East Carolina University, but uh, life kind of got in the way. My dad got sick. He ended up passing away, and I wasn't able to complete it in time, and the window of opportunity closed there. So I then had to go to St. Augustine, predominantly online, to get my transitional doctorate finished. And then at that point, I continued on to get my educational doctorate through St. Augustine as well. And I'm just wrapping that up right now. And I defend my thesis this month. So wow. it's been a long, crazy journey. But, you know, it's, it's been good overall. I can't complain. Oh, that's great. So you're not, from, you're not from North Carolina. You're from, where are you from originally? Yeah, no, I'm from New York originally. Uh, born and raised on Long Island. Uh, big Mets fan. Big New York Giants fan, Knicks fan, Islanders fan. All my teams are still up north, yeah. you know. But you know, it's the South has been good to me, and I just don't foresee myself going back. That's good. Well, Don Mattingly played for Greensboro. Uh, yes, that's right. What, uh, was that Greensboro he? Was, Rats. Yep, Greensboro. Yeah, at the time, it was the Greensboro Hornets because that was like the seventies, I think, when seventies yeah. when he played here. Yep. Yep. When I was there, it was the Bats, and I think they transitioned yes. even one more time to the, yep. the Grasshoppers. grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get a chance to go to the Durham Bulls stadium yes. when you were here? Yes. The old stadium. At, mm-hmm. When I was at East Carolina University, we went to a handful of Durham Bulls games. And oh, man, I love minor league baseball. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. That, that was a great stadium. So you graduated PT school. 
And then did you go to work somewhere else? What was the journey in between PT school and, you know, owning a cash PT side yeah. hustle? Yeah. So uh, it, it was, like I said, much like my academic career, it was a long and winding journey to get here. Even, you know, after my dad passed away, and I, I was working as a tech in Charleston, South Carolina at the time, uh, living with, you know, my mom and just trying to help her out a little bit and, and pass my board exam. And, uh, you know, I, I worked at the same hospital where my dad passed away. So I had to walk past the room where he passed every day on the way to work. And wow. that was, it got brutal to me, man. I got burnt out before I even, you know, got into PT world. I mean, I wasn't even a PT yet. I was a tech still and it was already wearing on me. I couldn't take it much more. So as soon as I passed my board exams, I traveled for a year. I got out and I, uh, I started in a little podunk town in Texas, uh, worked at a skilled nursing facility on a travel contract. Then I went to Honolulu, Hawaii for five months and did a, a home health contract. And then I ended up in Asheville, North Carolina for a, a home health contract. Uh, before finally settling down in Charlotte, um, mm -hmm. North Carolina. And I worked in a hospital system there for a handful of years, got an offer I couldn't refuse down in Savannah, Georgia at an outpatient clinic. Things weren't uh, really in line with you know my goals and my aspirations once I got down there. So I moved into Workman's Comp at a company in Atlanta, Georgia. And then from there, that company had an opening in Waco, Texas. And when we were pregnant with number two, my wife wanted to get closer to her home of Katy, Texas. Uh, by Houston there. And so we moved to Waco and uh, we've been here ever since. We've been here about uh, three years now. You know, it's a, it's a tiny little town, nice little place to raise a family. I think, you know, we could potentially be here for quite some time. So mm -hmm. it seemed like a good time to kind of set my roots and, and kind of open up my own thing and, and just see where I could take that. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And so we met the first time, was it about almost two and a half, three years ago at CSM? And you came up and you handed me like a bat's helmet and all this stuff. Yep. Was that about the same time you moved? It was actually because I was in Texas for that uh, that that CSM. It was in San Antonio, and right. I was only about two hour drive, two and a half hour drive, or whatever. So yeah, we had just recently moved uh, to Texas that year. Okay, awesome. When did you start your practice, your cash practice, and what drove you to decide to, that you wanted to do that? Yeah, so uh, at the time, the company I was working for was a hundred percent workman's comp. Uh, and, and, you know, paid well, it was a good job. It was essentially outpatient. But the first year I was with them, their medical coverage for a family of four was about $1,200 a month. Mm -hmm. And I was the only one, I'm the only one working. My wife's a stay at home mom. And, you know, we got two kids, so I have to have coverage for them. Right. Well, my wife's a type one diabetic. So, you know, there, it, it in order to get her supplies covered, you know, we had to have medical coverage, you know, between the, the pods and the continuous glucose monitor and the insulin, the price is just exorbitant on, on a monthly basis. So essentially, I had to find somewhere that had a pretty decent medical coverage. And this company started out okay, it was 1200 a month for a family of four. The next year, they switched from Aetna to Cigna, I believe. And the uh, premium went up to $1,500 a month for a family of four. The third year, it finally jumped up to $1,800 wow. per month for a family of four to have medical coverage. And it just got to the point where I was actually making less and less and less each year because of the premium for healthcare coverage. So I was like, all right, well, if that's the way it's going to be, you know, and, I, and we're going to stay here in this, in this job, in this current position, then I need to figure out another stream of income to, to make up that difference. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, we've been here long enough. I've got some connections. I've got some, you know, local friends and family now that I can kind of rely on a little bit. Let's see if, you know, I can't get something off the ground uh, and just start a cash pay uh, side hustle. So I started talking with David Bailiff, also Wake Forest Demon Deacon, about mobile PT. And Go how, Duke. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, about how he has, you know, kind of grown his mobile business. Right. Uh, now I just started, you know, talking with him as a mentor and, and really, you know, picking at his brain on a constant basis. And about two and a half years ago, I just said, all right, I'm going to do mobile PT. I'm going to do cash pay only. And, you know, it'll just grow to whatever it is. It's a side hustle. I have no, you know, worries. It, it doesn't have to grow. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to support us. It just has to be a little bit of a side stream and a side income that can kind of supplement uh, mm-hmm. the difference we're losing in healthcare premium. Right, right. So let me ask you this. So there, your premium that you're paying that's like 1800 that's within a humongous company, right? Pretty, yeah, pretty big. I mean, the, the company... And is it based on, is the amount based on your pre-existing conditions or is it just the same for everyone your age? It's the same for everyone. There's two options. You can go with the gold coverage and then that, that's 1800 a month for mm-hmm. a family of four. It's obviously a little less for an individual, but it, it's eighteen hundred a month for a family of four, or you go with the HSA, a health savings account, and you put in however much you think you'll need for right. uh, for your medical coverage for the year. And you know uh, the company that uh, I was working for when this all started, over fifty clinics across four or five states. You know, pretty pretty big company, and every year they quote unquote shopped around the best premium and the best coverage they could find. And I find it hard to believe that 1800 a month was the best they could come up with, but wow. that's what it was. So, you know, right. I, I wasn't going to sit around and, and wait for, for them to figure it out. I figured I'd do it myself. Yeah. Have you shopped around like for individual insurance to price that out? Yeah, because that was the, that was the other option, right? Well, all right, I just go out on my own and start my own thing. And I, I purchase insurance for us, you know, independently. And uh, we ran into a lot of resistance because of my wife's, again, pre-existing condition of mm-hmm. type 1 diabetes and she's unemployed for several years right because she's stay-at-home mom so those two combinations it was really hard to find someone that would cover her under my plan so, really wow so like they were even saying like we're not even going to cover her it wasn't even like it'll be five thousand dollars a month it's like we're just not even going to cover her. right right yeah That's it was crazy. it was hard to even find coverage and again, I gladly would have paid it monthly mm-hmm. if it was less than 1800 a month. Well, then it would have made sense for me just to buy my own. But right. we couldn't even find somebody who would, who would allow her. Uh, and again, their, their option often that we ran into was, well, you and the kids can buy your own premium and then she can go under Obamacare or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Well, again, the problem there is what's covered under Obamacare and what's not. And, and again, pre-existing conditions were an issue. Plus, the type of insulin that was covered oftentimes was not necessarily up to par. So right. for anyone who knows about type 1 diabetes and stuff, you know, your body reacts very differently to different types of insulin. So that was even another problem we ran into. The, the change in healthcare coverage from Aetna to Cigna to Blue Cross Blue Shield went from Humalog to Novalog to Humalog which it takes her body months to get used to the different type of insulin. So it was a mess every year we had to switch over. And I tried to explain that to the company and they just, you know, nothing they could do about it. So, right. Well, they don't really care. No. I mean, they don't. No. You know, it's interesting because on our end, you know, I've been buying our own insurance privately for years and 
Um, it's always been more expensive than we could have had if it was, you know, through a, you know, if I was working somewhere else. But this past year was the first year in a, that we purchased insurance through our business because I have some employees. But prior to that, it was $1,800 a year for a family of four healthy people. The year before it was $1,500 and the year before it was $1,300. And what was happening was this year for 2018, it was going to go up to 21 something for a family of four. And it's just like, so we bought it through our, our company. I now have to offer it to employees, but it, it brought our premium down to 1300, which is way more manageable, you know? And, but then again, I'm now obligated to, you know, do it for my employees, but if they're awesome, that, that helps. But it's like, even for them, it's more expensive for them to buy it through us at, at 50% rate than it is for them to go get it themselves individually. Yep. Which is, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's just, the whole thing is a mess. It is. And it's, you know? I don't see it getting better in the future. I just, it's the, you know, it keeps getting worse. So. Yeah. So the game is right now for you, you work for, are you doing home health or still this workman's comp type of contract thing? No, I actually found a home health company that needed help badly in Waco and their premium was slightly less. It was about 1700 a month. Um, but the caveat was the deductible. When we were on the other premium, our deductible was like 3,000 individual, 5,000 families. So we'd never meet that, you know, right uh, until the end of the year. And at that point, you know, it was maybe one month of getting her diabetic supplies for mm -hmm. you know, reasonable price. But this uh, new deductible we have is 250 individuals and, and 500 families. So we'll meet that like in the first month if we just do a couple of checkups and we're good wow. to go. And then her diabetic supplies are, are covered at 100%. Oh, wow. So, so at that point, it, it just pays to work for that company. That's, that's basically what I did. I shopped for the best possible uh, insurance and the best possible premium that I could find that would make the most sense for our family. Yeah. Well, that, it, at that rate, I mean, that's, that's great because like I'm sitting here talking about, yeah, it's 1500 or 13 something, but it's, you've got a like $5,000 or $7,000 individual deductible and a you know, I'm looking at it as like, I'm limiting my family's exposure to risk if one of us is in the hospital for three or four days or more. Yeah. And I mean, essentially at that rate, you're a cash pay individual anyway. Right. So. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And I'll ask a lot of times, well, is there a cash rate? They're like, no. I'm like, if I pay in full today, like you won't give me a better deal. <laughs> gotta be it's kidding nuts. me. Yeah, it's nuts. So tell me more about like, how does your day go? So you're doing home health. Mm -hmm. um, for someone else. And then you've got your, like kind of like a travel home health mobile business on the side. Are you kind of mixing your own patients in with that? And you know, when are you seeing your patients? And can yeah, you it's, how that it's works? actually, uh, it's, it's afforded me great flexibility. Um, what I used to have to do because the workman's comp gig was nine to six was see patients either really early in the morning or late at night or on weekends. Now that I do home health, I set my own schedule and then I can kind of sprinkle in some of my patients here and there, you know, as I, as I see fit. The cool thing is, you know, the home health population is predominantly geriatric, homebound, you know, post-operative, whereas my patients are young, fit, you know, just completely different populations. So I'm able to kind of keep them very separate, you know, no blurring the lines at all. So it's been, it's been really nice transition for me. Mm -hmm. Like, are you, how many people a week are you seeing, like, for, you know, the job and then for the, for the side hustle? How's that working out? 
For the job, I probably see 25 to 30 patients a week. I can choose how many to see, uh, you know, there, there's incentive to hit certain numbers, you know, bonuses and stuff like that. So I try to, you know, hit the bare minimum on the bonuses just mm-hmm. because that's nice to have. But, and then for my side hustle, I generally see anywhere from six to 10 patients a week. That keeps me pretty, pretty busy. You know, I still kind of work an eight to five ish, eight to six schedule at this point. You know, I try to schedule my patients on days where I know I'm going to be done earlier with the home health type stuff. And then realistically, you know, if I, if I get, too much more busy than that. It's uh, it's going to start adding hours to my my week, and I don't know that I want to do that right now. Right, right. Is there like an like a ideal number or amount of time that you want to spend working, and the rest, you know, like other things you're doing, like with your kids, or you know, I know you got podcast yourself and everything. Yeah. So yeah, I generally, I mean, I I, I like the the eight to ten hours a week. You know, it kind of adds an, an extra day. So mm-hmm. to speak, my work week, but if I'm able to kind of interweave it and, you know, mix it in with my regular, you know, home health patients, it, it really doesn't feel like that extra day worked in. It's just, you know, maybe an extra hour or two each day. Um, I start a little earlier, come home a little later at the end of it, but, uh, you know, eight to 10 is really my, my Goldilocks zone, if you mm-hmm. will. And it's, like I said, it's such a drastically different population and it's my business the way I want to run it. And so I'm, I'm exactly where I want to be with that. Like, I feel like, you know, people can do a cash pay side hustle and be perfectly fine with keeping it a side hustle. It doesn't have to be, you know, the end all be all. Everybody's situation is very different. Mine obviously is drastically different as to why I ended up doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Side hustle. But uh, it, it can be done and it can be done successfully. For me, my patients, the cash pay patients, are almost like cathartic. You know, it's, it's a way for me to just get out, interact with people, communicate with people uh, in a way that I want to, that is going to help them get better and get the best results. And, and realistically, you know, it, it keeps my skills sharp too. So I, I'm, I'm loving it right now. Uh, you know, I do have a, a ton of other things going on too, but I, I kind of try to keep them in separate silos so that I can uh, time, you know, the amount of time and energy that needs to go into all those projects. Yeah. And so what are you doing to like kind of advertise market, you know, create a business that around this, that keeping you busy with, with the cash pay side? Yeah. So when I first started, there were only three CrossFit gyms in Waco. Mm-hmm. That was it. It was very simple. I just went to all three. I said, hey, you know, would you like me to do quarterly injury uh, prevention courses for you? Like a 30-minute presentation on neck, then one on back, one on shoulder, one on leg. You know, would you be interested in that? And, you know, it, it basically it kind of helps keep your paying members as paying members and keeps them coming to the CrossFit box instead of, you know, going out and getting hurt and then not paying for a little while till they feel like they're better and can come back. All the owners were receptive to that. I, uh, I do, you know, like I said, quarterly injury, injury prevention courses. And then from there, it kind of spread word of mouth wise. And just this year, this is the first year that I've finally started putting a little bit of Facebook dollars behind some ads locally here. And that's, that's kind of helped some patients trickle in as well. And then I've started working on a third very specific niche, and that's uh, video gamers. Mm-hmm. I've just gotten really into the esports world lately, and just you know watching these hand injuries and wrist injuries, elbow injuries, postural injuries, and you know I've really started trying to market to 
video gamers and, and, and hand injuries in particular. And then on top of that, you know, if they can't get to me locally here, I'm starting to try to branch that into a telehealth uh, option as well. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's great. What would you say, like, cause I know like, I see, I see a lot of this in my group, like where people are saying, Oh, well, I'm just starting something on the side. You know, I'm just going to see a couple people a week. Do I really need to do X, Y, and Z? Like, you know, have a, you know, have a payment agreement, have a, you know, you know, be compliant and, you know, do all these things, you know, even if it's just for a couple people a week, like one, I mean, you know, like, how did you see that? And like, when you were building, like, how did you justify, okay, I got to spend, actually spend some money to create my business to get the things that you needed started so that uh, everything's, you know, like on the up and up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you still got to take it seriously. I mean, you got to take it like a business. You have to, you know, pay attention to all the details, dot the I's, cross the T's. I was very fortunate when I was starting out, you know, I bootstrapped it. I, I took my time. Uh, did my due diligence. Uh, I had a buddy of mine who was a lawyer. He went to college with me and he got me started. He got me, um, you know, all the articles of incorporation and, and the paperwork that I needed to start the business. Again, I had a lot of mentorship, which was uh, great. David Bailiff uh, of the Mobile PT League has been a huge wealth of knowledge for me. He and I actually collaborated on a course on how to finally start your own mobile PT practice if that's something you were interested in because. You know, I wanted to take my educational doctorate and put it to good use. David, like I said, was just a mentor to me. So he, you know, he had a bunch of knowledge on how to do it full time. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, I, I kind of take it from, like I said, the side hustle aspect of things. But, you know, you really do need to take it seriously and, and run it as a business. So, I mean, you know, I, I did everything that I needed to do in order to, you know, feel like I was covered as a, as a uh, corporation and a business, you know, I, I still had my... Uh, individual malpractice insurance. I had, you know, uh, I used G Suite for my notes and documentation. You know, I basically run it as it were, you know, a full-time business, but it's just, you know, a little bit smaller. It's almost like a micro practice. And, right. and like I said, I'm, I'm okay with that because yeah. that's about all I can handle and, and, and it's keeping me sane. So cool. Is there anything that you're doing differently or that you would do differently if you had like a physical location and patients came to you? You know, I don't know. I've never really thought about it because my, my whole goal was to keep the overhead low. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with the mobile practice, I literally found a, a massage table on Craigslist, you know, for dirt cheap. I had a bunch of equipment and stuff just from years of practicing here and there and picking up little things here and there. So I just threw all that stuff in my trunk. And, you know, I think the whole benefit of mobile PT is that you're giving people time, right? You're giving them convenience. You're coming to them where they need to be, when they need to be seen. So for me, the, the idea of a, of a brick and mortar type place has never really even crossed my mind because I'm out driving most of the day anyway, doing some home health stuff. So, you know, this just incorporates them into my route and I just kind of, you know, fit them in where, where they need to be seen. So yeah. You know, I, I can't say that I would personally even think of, of brick and mortar right now because it's just not, A, it's not really in my budget and B, it's it's just not something that I'm, I'm too interested in right now. Right, right. And I think like one of the questions that I hear from people is that, oh, well, I'm doing mobile and you're doing brick and mortar, like they're completely different. But it's really, it's just, 
it's, it's pretty much all the same. It's just, there's yeah. a location one, you've got a physical location where people come to you and the other one you go to people and pretty much everything else is same stuff, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's still a physical therapy business. That, that's all it is. You know, it's, it's just the location that you provide your services. That's mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. What would you say to somebody if they're interested in starting a mobile practice? What's like, what's like this, the thing that they need to be aware of or know about, you know, that, that they might, you know, that a lot of people miss or make mistakes. Yeah. Well, the first step, like I said, is, is join the Facebook group, that mobile PT league that David Bayless started. Cause that every question you can ever imagine comes up there and the group is so supportive and so helpful for, you know, everything that you need to know mobile PT related. But, um, you know, as far as mistakes and things like that, I mean, it's really, it's not rocket science. You know, I, I think people worry so much about the the intricacies and the details and the minutia. And, you know, once you've got everything set up, just go be a PT, you know, just go do, go treat people, make them better, you know, listen to them, communicate. You know, I, I think the, the biggest mistake people make is they get too caught up in the details and, and, and it, you know, it's that paralysis by analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, they're so worried to start. Just jump in and do it. Like, you know, especially as a side hustle, you've got nothing but time and patience to just grow that thing as, as much or as little as you want. Like you have a fallback net. You have a safety net. What, what is the issue? You know, why, why worry? You right. know, there, there, there literally is no failure unless you stop trying. Right. Everything else on the way is just a learning process at that point. It's just a learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I have read. Okay. That's great. And that's awesome. I want your thoughts on this. I saw a comment the other day and, and I've heard these comments over the years. It kind of goes like, well, why would anyone pay cash for physical therapy? Like if you paid cash for physical therapy, like that would be stupid because you can get it down the street for a copay, <laughs> you know, or which is, which is kind of like the comment I heard the other day, or, oh, it's unethical to charge more for physical therapy when someone, you know, has great insurance and they could get the same thing. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to value yourself and your services at whatever you feel the value is, right? You, you know, I, I Personally, with the mobile business, I feel like I'm providing a service and, and a, you know, an opportunity for these people to get physical therapy where they may not have been able to. If they couldn't leave the house all day because they got three kids running around and it's just too much for them, well, I can come to you. I can you know, help provide you that convenience. You know, plus, the one-on-one care, you know, the, the, t- trying to take things to the next level, right? Provide the Disney experience of physical therapy, mm-hmm. you know? That's what I feel like I'm providing. So I feel like I can charge more for that if I want, right? But from a, from a bigger standpoint, I mean, at the end of the day, if I have an issue or a problem and I need somebody to come in and consult and give me the answer because they have the knowledge and the skills to, to solve my problem, well, then I literally value their services at whatever price they may set, right? So if, if you know, if I have... I don't know, let's say a, a tree issue out in my front yard and it's the roots are pushing the sidewalk up and they're, you know, just destroying my foundation. Well, I'm not exactly sure how to go about handling that. So I'm going to call a tree expert. And if the tree expert comes in and says, I need to do this, this, and this, 
and it's $500, I'm going to say, great, here's $500. I don't know what to do with that. I, I value your opinion, your expert opinion. I know you do this all day, every day. You know, it's no different than that. So if somebody's offering a service and, and they want, you know, if there's a perceived value on both, you know, on both ends, everybody wins. Right. So, you know, it, it, to me, you charge what you think your service is worth and people will pay it because they see the value in what you're offering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I totally agree. But I, you know, like, I, I mean, I just think that, you know, I think people do try to word this the correct way. Like, and I think people get to a point where they're like, okay, I can't provide a good treatment working for someone else, seeing four people an hour. So when I start, you know, like, and I'm for this other people, when, when they've started a, a cash practice, they go, okay, now I can provide a better treatment for my patients. So all cash practices provide better treatments. And I think that marginalizes a little bit of some of the PTs in, in network because there are some P- great PTs in there that do have time. And I think that, I think that a big thing that I see is it's, it's not, uh, we can't make blanket statements. And I think that when we're in a cash practice, we have unlimited time to give people what they need. And we're almost really forced to sell value rather than selling physical therapy for a $25 or $50 copay. Do you, you see, you, do you see this too? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, at the end of the day, this is getting like to the point where we're beating a dead horse, but the profession, you know, knows and, and, and I hear it time and time again, but the public doesn't know what we do. The public doesn't know what physical therapy is. The public doesn't know what we offer. Well, all right, that's on us. That's our fault. And then, I mean, you got to get out there and you've got to educate. You've got to show people what physical therapy can be. And it's unfortunate. People are going to have good experiences and bad experiences with physical therapy. You know, they're going to, the good news is we're getting to a point now of health consumerism, right? And healthcare consumerism where people are finally doing their research. They are looking into, you know, the latest and greatest and the, and the best possible treatments and the best possible options and, you know, ways to avoid surgery, ways to avoid opioids, all that stuff. So, you know, people are starting to come around to the fact that physical therapy exists and what it does and what the benefits are, but it's on us to really show the value, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, the blanket statements just probably don't, don't fit to everybody, you know, but for the most part, you've just got to be the best possible, possible physical therapist that you can be and bring the most value to people's lives, you know, and at the end of the day, you'll be, you'll probably be all right. You'll end yeah. up. Okay. So what are you doing or, how are you um, getting this message out to the public? Like that, that physical therapy is more than just like hot packs, leg lifts and ultrasound. And that, you know, like you've got a a special thing that you can do to help them that they may not be getting somewhere else. Yeah. So for me, this started again about probably two years ago or so I started pteducator.com, which the whole premise of it was just to literally increase the public's healthcare literacy. It wasn't Mm -hmm. specifically physical therapy related, you know, I wrote a blog a day every, every weekday for a full year just to see if I could do it, just to push myself a little bit and get information out there, correct information out there to the public. And it would be about something I learned that day or an interaction I had or, you know, a song that came on the radio that made me think of something or, you know, a sporting event that happened. Just something that came up that day and like, uh, you know, one day it would be turf toe. I saw a football player had a turf toe injury. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about turf toe. I haven't seen that in a while. 
well, here's what turf toe is and here's how physical therapy can treat it. If you feel like you may be dealing with that, give me a call, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. Or I can, I can refer you to, to somebody locally who may be able to help. Um, you know, and, and, and that went on for about a year and I've kind of slowed back on that just a little bit the last uh, six months just because of my dissertation, but that's about to end. So I'm about, about to have a little more free time on my hands. So hopefully I can get back into that again. But yeah, the blog was just basically trying to educate people to health situations that I came across in the, in the world of physical therapy and how I tried to help. So yeah, that, that was my, my initial mission. Now recently, started teaching adjunct with Baylor University's new DPT program here a little bit. And, you know, I think not only educating students, physical therapy students, but, you know, a lot of the people that ask me about, you know, teaching and and what I want to do with the educational doctorate, that kind of allows me to, I don't want to say stake my claim, but I mean, it literally gives me a little bit more authority and and expertise in saying, yeah, I'm a professor teaching the next wave of of PT students, you know, so, so people kind of take me a little bit more seriously when I say that, oh yeah, I'm a physical therapy professor as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, right away, it's like, oh, well then he must know what he's talking about, you know? So uh, I think locally here in the community, uh, the good news is with Waco, everybody knows Baylor, you know? It, it's the the heart of Waco. So, you know, it lends a little bit of pretty decent credibility for, for my sake as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. What are you teaching over there? I'm just teaching adjunct about one course per semester. I teach, uh, I help Dr. Bachman teach the aging adult course and mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Unverzat, I help teach his uh, advanced movement analysis course. Oh, well, that's awesome. You're yeah. letting people know that cash practice exists and it's real. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And, and actually the cool thing is when I go up for lab immersions, they, they hold them up in Dallas. A lot of the students come up to me and ask me about it, um, which is really cool to see that students already know uh, that cash pay exists and that there is a shift coming and we're going to have to do something to change it up because uh, the current model is not working. Right, right. No, I, I'm waiting for the current model to really crash, but I still see so many people are holding on to onto their contracts and they're just struggling because they don't pay. And, you know, it's even with hiring people, it's like our salaries are tied to what we can generate in reimbursement and that's getting lower and lower. And of course you can't pay someone good money out of school because you can't pay them more in 30 years. No, the, the bubble's going to burst. And, and I, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm just very fortunate and very blessed to have uh, several irons in the fire currently that if physical therapy were to fall off the face of the earth as a profession, I think I'd still be all right at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So what's next for, what's next for you, Scott? Yeah. I mean, my big thing that I've been working on kind of on the side has been my book. Uh, I I'm, I'm working on a book called the breaking the time code mm-hmm. on multiple streams of income for healthcare providers, because um, I'm pretty ticked off about the current student loan situation. Looking back on my journey and the way that, that I went about it, I, did it all wrong. I would have gone to community college for two years and a state school for two years, then probably a state graduate school for, you know, two or three years had I to do it all over again and just try to keep it as cheap as possible. But, you know, I just kept thirsting for knowledge and thinking that, you know, education was the right path and the right thing to do. And I kept getting degree after degree after degree. And, you know, now I've got to pay for those degrees, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I feel like we should, as healthcare providers, we need to look outside of our silo of whatever we're practicing. And there are so many different avenues of, of income and different streams of revenue that, you know, we need to aggressively attack our student loans as opposed to just sitting back and paying them off for 30 years, you know? So 
Uh, that, that book should be out early 2019. I'm pretty excited about that. You know, I've been working with uh, Brandon Pone and Stephanie Wyrock on the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, just trying to bring awareness to how, you know, we feel that healthcare education's broken system as well. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to fix that by uh, getting as many of the experts on to talk about the issues in healthcare education and how we can try to fix that. So that, that's going to be, I think, our next conquest uh, is trying to make education better from the inside out. Right. Wow, that's awesome. Where do you think the disconnect is between school, like, like tuition and, and uh, salaries? Like, yeah. where's the... <laughs> well, here's, here's the major problem we're finding. One, schools can pretty much charge, you know, whatever they want, because at the end of the day, there's not a shortage of people trying to fill seats. Mm-hmm. So it's a supply and demand issue, right? If, you know, you have 100 seats in a DPT program and you have 800 applicants, well, you'll be able to fill them at whatever price you want, right? Now, you know, there is a caveat. The the DPT programs don't necessarily get all that money that comes in from the program. It goes to the school and then the school obviously disperses it how they see fit. But if the price keeps creeping up and up and up because they can, you know, and they're just trying to find that limit to where finally people say, no, we're not going to apply to that school anymore because it's too expensive. There's no incentive for them to stop charging as much as they are, if not more, year after year. Right. Because people keep paying it. People keep trying to get into PT schools and people keep filling the seats. So, you know, that that's the first problem. And then the second problem is really well, okay, now you've got all these PT schools and they're just adding more and more and more every year. And, and, you know, again, the answer isn't to throw more PT schools out there. Is it a moneymaker and a generator of money for the schools? Yeah, probably. But eventually we're going to saturate the market. We're going to, you know, flood the market with too many PTs. And and then there's going to be a a real struggle to find jobs for these people, let alone good salaries. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got to be real careful in the future moving forward to, you know, what we're doing in, in healthcare education, particularly in DPT programs. So yeah. that's, you know, I see like, it's interesting you say that because I still get job offers and recruiters contacting me to get me a job and I've never been on the job hunt. I've had a clinic since I, you know, got out of school and it's hard for me to find people to hire. So there's really like, right now there's a need for more PTs and we all know that there's, you know, baby boomers are aging. There's going to be more PTs and yet like salary, like people can't, you know, like people can pay back their loans, but they're struggling to figure out how am I going to do that? If I want to do orthopedics and I get out and I can make $65,000 a year, I have to go to home health to make anywhere close to 80, you know, I mean, to, so like my, like I see what you're saying. Like I hadn't thought about that. And then my end, I'm like, well, you know, we need more PTs and, but no one can pay it back unless, you know, what they really need to be thinking is like, how do I have like multiple streams of income? Cause I want to treat patients, but I need to, you know, like pay back my loans and do it in a way that's like intelligent and not just, you know, stalling you out. Right. right? And that's a very important point because you can still center everything that you love and your passion. You know, if you keep that as the main umbrella and as like the, the driving force behind everything you do, you can work at an outpatient orthopedic clinic at 65 if that makes you happy and you really enjoy it. And then if you, you know, aren't able to pay your loans back at that rate, well, then you can do, you know, weekend PRN rates at an outpatient facility. You, mm-hmm. you can, you know, create a course around uh, orthopedics or, you know, whatever you really love. You can uh, treat, you know, 
or not treat, but you can educate people on weekends and do weekend classes for, if you're an ankle specialist, you can work on ankle stability and do camps on injury prevention. You know, again, we just need to be thinking outside the box and thinking of different ways that we can use our knowledge to help more people and create a, a, a greater reach. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't have to just be the nine to five going to collect your paycheck every week. Like that's right. what burns people out. Yeah, no, I get it. It's like if you're if you're in this business, if you're in this business or field, and it's all you want to do, collect a paycheck. It's like I'm like good luck to you. But if you really want something more, there's opportunity out there for the taking. You just actually have to go get it rather than wait for it to come to you. you for know? sure, for sure. So Scott, if someone has more questions for you or wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you online? Like where do your where are you on social media? Where do your blog posts, like your I mean your websites and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, the easiest thing to do is just go to pteducator.com. That's got all my social media links, uh, you know, emails, blog, everything is there. Uh, my mobile practice is linked up to that as well. You know, I'm readily available for questions or if people just want to chat, you know, uh, I'm a pretty easily accessible guy, especially since I'm driving around all day. If I've got a 30 or 40 minute commute between patients or something like that, I'd you know, be glad to take a call here or there, or, you know, just chat with people. So feel free to reach out if you have any questions. I, uh, I love chatting about people who are passionate about what they love and, 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 you know, how to help more people in the world of physical therapy. So it's a great profession. I really am blessed to have been involved with it. Uh, I just think we need to, to light a fire under a little bit more of the clinicians and really get them going and really get them doing more, more than just that collecting that paycheck like you were talking about, Aaron. Right. Right. That's, that's exactly right. Now, is there anything else you want to add or some other piece of wisdom or advice from your experience that you'd like to share? Just, you know, get out there and do it. Give it a try. Like, you know, if you want to keep it a side hustle, try it. But what, again, there's, there's no, there's very little risk to, to starting your own little side hustle, uh, cash pay business and, you know, seeing how it goes and learning as you go. Uh, cause that's literally what I did. I just learned as I went for, you know, last two and a half years or so, three years, I've been learning as I go. And it's, uh, you, you know, f surround yourself with people who have done it and, and mentors who know what, what the ins and outs are and the ups and downs. Talk to them, learn from them. You know, most of them will be readily available and, and willing to talk to you. Uh, just just do it. Give it a try. Like there's there's no shame in, in doing a side hustle and keeping it a side hustle. Like it works. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm living proof. It's, it's, it can be done. That's really awesome. That's awesome. That's a great message and very important. So thank you very much. Thank you guys for being here. This has been the Cash PT Lunch Hour with Aaron and Scott, and we'll see you guys on the next show. Have a great day. Thanks, Aaron. Hey, thanks again for spending your time with us today. If you're a new listener, then thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget, you can find all the resources and links mentioned, as well as show notes over at aaronlebauer.com. If you found this podcast and information valuable to you, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review on iTunes and a shout out on social media wherever you hang out. 